Section 3 of Jataka Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Jataka Tales by H. T. Francis and E. J. Thomas. The Feast for the Dead. Once on a time, when Brahmadatta was reigning in Benares, a Brahmin who was versed in the three Vedas and world famed as a teacher, being minded to offer a feast for the dead, had a goat fetched and said to his pupils, "'My sons, take this goat down to the river and bathe it, then hang a wreath round its neck, adorn it with five sprayed garlands, and bring it back.' "'Very good,' said they, and down to the river they took the goat, where they bathed and adorned the creature, and set it on the bank. The goat, becoming conscious of the deeds of its past lives, was overjoyed at the thought that on this very day it would be freed from all its misery, and laughed aloud like the smashing of a pot. Then at the thought that the Brahmin, by slaying it, would bear the misery which it had borne, the goat felt a great compassion for the Brahmin, and wept with a loud voice. "'Friend goat,' said the young Brahmins, "'your voice has been loud both in laughter and in weeping. What made you laugh, and what made you weep?' "'Ask me your question before your master.' So with the goat they came to their master and told him of the matter. After hearing their story, the master asked the goat why it laughed and why it wept. Hereupon the animal, recalling its past deeds by its power of remembering its former existence, spoke thus to the Brahmin. "'In times past, Brahmin, I, like you, was a Brahmin versed in the mystic texts of the Vedas, and I, to offer a feast for the dead, killed a goat for my offering. All through killing that single goat I have had my head cut off five hundred times, all but one. This is my five hundredth and last birth and I laughed aloud when I thought that this very day I should be freed from my misery. On the other hand, I wept when I thought how, whilst I, who for killing a goat had been doomed to lose my head five hundred times, was today being freed from my misery, you, as a penalty for killing me, would be doomed to lose your head, like me, five hundred times." Thus it was out of compassion for you that I wept. "'Fear not, goat,' said the Brahmin. "'I will not kill you.' "'What is this you say, Brahmin?' said the goat. "'Whether you kill me or not, I cannot escape death to-day.' "'Fear not, goat. I will go about with you to guard you. Weak is your protection, Brahmin, and strong is the force of my evil doing.' Setting the goat at liberty, the Brahmin said to his disciples, "'Let us not allow anyone to kill this goat.' And accompanied by the young men, he followed the animal closely about. The moment the goat was set free, it reached out its neck to browse on the leaves of a bush growing near the top of a rock. And that very instant a thunderbolt struck the rock, rending off a mass which hit the goat on the outstretched neck and tore off its head.' and people came crowding round. In those days the Bodhisattva had been born a tree divinity in that selfsame spot. By his supernatural powers he now seated himself cross-legged in mid-air while all the crowd looked on, thinking to himself, If these creatures only knew the fruit of evil-doing, perhaps they could desist from killing. 
in his sweet voice he taught them the truth in this stanza. If folk but knew the truth that their existence is pain, then living things would cease from taking life. Stern is the slayer's doom. Thus did the great being preach the truth, scaring his hearers with the fear of hell. And the people hearing him were so terrified at the fear of hell that they left off taking life. And the Bodhisatta, after establishing the multitude of the commandments by preaching the truth to them, passed away to fare according to his deserts. The people, too, remained steadfast in the teaching of the Bodhisatta, and spent their lives in charity and other good works, so that, in the end, they attained to the city of the gods. THE MONKEY AND THE OGRE In past times, we are told, there was a thick forest on this spot, and in the lake here dwelt a water-ogre who used to devour every one who went down into the water. In those days the Bodhisatta had come to life as the king of the monkeys, and was as big as the fawn of a red deer. He lived in that forest at the head of a troop of no less than eighty thousand monkeys whom he shielded from harm. Thus did he counsel his subjects. My friends, in this forest there are trees that are poisonous and lakes that are haunted by ogres. Mind to ask me first, before you either eat any fruit which you have not eaten before, or drink of any water where you have not drunk before. Certainly, said they readily. One day they came to a spot where they had never visited before. As they were searching for water to drink after their day's wanderings, they came on this lake. But they did not drink. On the contrary, they sat down watching for the coming of the Bodhisatta. When he came up, he said, "'Well, my friends, why don't you drink?' "'We waited for you to come.' "'Quite right, my friends,' said the Bodhisatta. Then he made a circuit of the lake and scrutinized the footprints round, with the result that he found that all the footsteps led down into the water and none came up again. "'Without doubt,' thought he to himself, "'this is the haunt of an ogre.' So he said to his followers, you are quite right, my friends, in not drinking of this water, for the lake is haunted by an ogre. When the water ogre realized that they were not entering his domain, he assumed the shape of a horrible monster with a blue belly, a white face, and bright red hands and feet. In this shape he came out from the water and said, Why aren't you seated here? Go down into the lake and drink. But the Bodhisatta said to him, Are you not the ogre of this water? Yes, I am, was the answer. Do you not take as your prey all those who go down into the water? Yes, I do. From small birds upwards, I never let anything go which comes down into my water. I will eat the lot of you, too. But we shall not let you eat us. Just drink the water. Yes, we will drink the water and yet not fall into your power. How do you suppose to drink the water, then? Ah, you think we have to go down into the water to drink, whereas we shall not enter the water at all. But the whole eighty thousand of us will take a reed each and drink therewith from your lake as easily as we could through a hollow stalk of lotus, and you will not be able to eat us and he repeated the latter half of the following stanza. 
the first half being added by the master when as buddha he recalled the incident i found the footprints all lead down none back with reeds will drink you shall not take my life so saying the bodhisatta had a reed brought to him then calling to mind the ten perfections displayed by him he recited them in a solemn asseveration and blew down the reed straightway the reed became hollow throughout with a single knot being left in all its length in this fashion he had another and another brought and blew down them but if this were so he could never have finished and accordingly the foregoing sentence must not be understood in this literal sense next the bodhisatta made the tour of the lake and commanded saying let all the reeds growing here become hollow throughout now thanks to the great virtues of the saving goodness of bodhisattvas their commands are always fulfilled and thenceforth every single reed that grew round that lake became hollow throughout in this kappa or era there are four miracles which endure through the whole era what are the four well they are first the sign of the hare and the moon which will last through the whole era secondly the spot where the fire was put out as told in the vataka jataka which shall remain untouched by fire throughout the era thirdly on the site of gatikara's house no rain shall ever fall while this era lasts and lastly the reeds that grow round this lake shall be hollow throughout during the whole of the era such are the four era miracles as they are called after giving this command the bodhisattva seated himself with a reed in his hands all the other eighty thousand monkeys too seated themselves round the lake each with a reed in his hands and at the same moment when the bodhisattva sucked the water up through his reed they all drank too in the same manner as they sat on the bank this was the way they drank and not one of them could the water ogre get so he went off in a rage to his own habitation the bodhisattva too with his following went back into the forest the guilty dogs once on a time when brahmadatta was reigning in benares the result of a past act of the bodhisattva was that he came to life as a dog and dwelt in a great cemetery at the head of several hundred dogs now one day the king set out for his pleasance in his chariot of state drawn by white-sinned horses and after amusing himself all the day in the grounds came back to the city after sunset the carriage harness they left in the courtyard still hitched on to the chariot in the night it rained and the harness got wet moreover the king's dogs came down from the upper chambers and gnawed the leather-work and straps next day they told the king saying sire dogs have got in through the mouth of the sewer and have gnawed the leather-work and straps of your majesty's carriage enraged at the dogs the king said kill every dog you see then began a great slaughter of dogs and the creatures finding that they were being slain whenever they were seen repaired to the cemetery to the bodhisattva what is the meaning asked he of your assembling in such numbers they said the king is so enraged at the report that the leather-work and straps of his carriage have been gnawed by dogs within the royal precincts that he has ordered all dogs to be killed dogs are being destroyed wholesale and great peril has arisen thought the bodhisattva to himself no dogs from without can get into a palace so closely watched 
it must be the thoroughbred dogs inside the palace who have done it at present nothing happens to real culprits while the guiltless are being put to death what if i were to discover the culprits to the king and so save the lives of my kith and kin he comforted his kinfolk by saying have no fear i will save you only wait here till i see the king then guided by the thoughts of love and calling to mind the ten perfections he made his way alone and unattended into the city commanding thus let no hand be lifted to throw stick or stone at me accordingly when he made his appearance not a man grew angry at the sight of him the king meantime after ordering the dog's destruction had taken his seat in the hall of justice and straight to him ran the bodhisatta leaping under the king's throne the king's servants tried to get him out but his majesty stopped them taking heart a little the bodhisatta came forth from under the throne and bowing to the king said is it you who are having the dogs destroyed yes it is i what is their offence king of men they have been gnawing the straps and leather covering of my carriage do you know the dogs who actually did the mischief no i do not but your majesty if you do not know for certain the real culprits it is not right to order the destruction of every dog that is seen it was because dogs had gnawed the leather of my carriage that i ordered them all to be killed do your people kill all dogs without exception or are there some dogs who are spared well, some are spared the thoroughbred dogs of my own palace sire just now you were saying that you had ordered the universal slaughter of all dogs wherever you found because dogs had gnawed the leather of your carriage whereas now you say that the thoroughbred dogs of your own palace escape death therefore you are following the four evil courses of partiality dislike ignorance and fear such courses are wrong and not king-like for kings in trying cases should be as unbiased as the beam of a balance but in this instance since the royal dogs go scot-free whilst poor dogs are killed this is not the impartial doom of all dogs alike but only the slaughter of poor dogs and moreover the great being lifting up his sweet voice said sire it is not justice that you are performing and he taught the truth to the king in this stanza the dogs that in the royal palace grow the well-bred dogs so strong and fair of form not these but only we are doomed to die here's no impartial sentence meted out to all alike tis slaughter of the poor after listening to the bodhisattva's words the king said do you in your great wisdom know who it actually was that gnawed the leather of my carriage yes sire who was it the thoroughbred dogs that live in your own palace how can it be shown that it was they who gnawed the leather i will prove it to you do so dog sage then send for your dogs and have a little buttermilk and kusa grass brought in the king did so then said the great being let this grass be mashed up in the buttermilk and make the dogs drink it the king did so with the result that each several dog as he drank vomited and they all brought up bits of leather 
why it is like a judgment of a perfect buddha himself cried the king overjoyed and he did homage to the bodhisatta by offering him the royal umbrella and the bodhisatta taught the truth in the ten stanzas on righteousness in the tesakuna jataka beginning with the words walk righteously great king of princely race then having established the king in the five commandments and having exhorted his majesty to be steadfast the bodhisatta handed back to the king the white umbrella of kingship at the close of the great being's words the king commanded that the lives of all creatures should be safe from harm he ordered that all dogs from the bodhisatta downwards should have a constant supply of food such as he himself ate and abiding by the teachings of the bodhisatta he spent his life long in charity and other good deeds so that when he died he was reborn in the world of gods the dog's teaching endured for ten thousand years the bodhisatta also lived to a ripe old age and then passed away to fare according to his deserts the discontented ox once on a time when brahmadatta was reigning in benares the bodhisatta came to life as an ox named big red on the landowner's estate in a certain hamlet and he had a younger brother who was known as little red there were only these two brothers to do all the draft work of the family also the landowner had an only daughter whose hand was asked in marriage for his son by a gentleman of the town and the parents of the girl with a view to furnishing dainty fare for the wedding guests began to fatten up a pig named munica observing this little red said to his brother all the loads that have to be drawn for this household are drawn by you and me my brother yet all they give us for our pains is sorry grass and straw to eat yet here is the pig being victualled on rice what can be the reason why he should be treated to such fare said his brother my dear little red envy him not for the pig eats the food of death it is but to furnish a relish for the guests at their daughter's wedding that the family are feeding up the pig wait but a little time and the guests will be coming then you will see that pig lugged out of his quarters by the legs killed and in process of conversion into curry and so saying he repeated this stanza then envy not poor munica tis death he eats contented munch your frugal chaff the pledge and guarantee of length of days not long afterwards the guests did arrive and munica was killed and cooked into all manner of dishes said the bodhisatta to little red did you see munica dear brother i have indeed seen brother the outcome of munica's feasting better a hundred nay a thousand times than such food as ours though it be but grass straw and chaff for our fare harms us not and it is a pledge that our lives will not be cut short end of section three